why don't we pray? Uh, but when we do that, if you've got a Bible to hand, uh, grab it and turn to John chapter 4, because uh, we'll be looking at uh, verse 19 to 26. But as we do that, let's pray. Father, as we look at worship this afternoon, would you tune our hearts to engage with your work, tune our hearts to praise you as we hear your word being un uh, unpacked. And Father, we long to worship you with all that we are, with our body, our soul, our mind, our spirit, all that we are, Lord, we want to worship you. So Father, would you teach us in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, uh, if you didn't know that I love worship, you would have been hugely mistaken. I love it. It's, it's part of my daily routine, which is why it's in this rhythm series. Uh, some of you, thankfully, might know that every day I worship the Lord in the shower, absolutely butt naked, worshipping, arms up in the shower. That's an image most of you will never, ever get rid of. But it's really true. Steph's shouting at the camera, why would you say that? Why would you say that? But worship is genuinely part of my daily routine. I don't know if it's part of yours, but I spend it whilst walking the dog, I worship in the shower, as you've heard, as I work away uh, on Zoom or others, I'm worshiping and long to live a lifestyle of worship. I love it. As I worship, I have the sense of of God's presence really near. Like he's right there, like I could almost reach out and touch him. It changes as I worship, it changes my gaze from me to him. So much and so often in this world, we're so uh, focused on ourselves, but as we worship, it changes our focus from ourselves to him. It changes the things that are unchangeable in our daily lives, our situations. I don't know about you, but I find that when I worship, the things that seem impossible to me, I have to rely on God for. It changes my attitude. It changes it from uh, self-sufficiency to fully reliance on him. That's what worship does. And if you don't realize this already, I know so many of us do, but the whole of creation was created to worship God. Everything. Everything. From the sun and the moon and the stars to things that we can barely see under a microscope. All of it, including you and I, are designed and created to worship. We need to do almost a whole series on worship because that's how broad the subject is, rather than just one talk. And you know what? Out of all of God's creation, he says that we are very good, you and I and humanity. We are the thing God created and gave us uh, a passion and a desire to worship. We get to choose to worship him, whereas the rest of creation just does it by itself. 
we get to choose to worship. And so as we do that, we're going to get our uh, reading from John chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, he replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and it is his worshippers that must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, a lot of us would have been really, really uh, familiar with this passage of scripture. The, the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman, it's something that I've read loads and loads and loads of times. But I think for the first time I viewed this through the lens of worship. See, the Samaritan woman asks Jesus for a drink and the conversation expounds to the biggest things of the universe. Jesus ends up promising the Samaritan woman living water that wells up to eternal life. I'd like a drink from that. And as we worship, that's what we do. But let's just look a little bit behind the background of this passage. Firstly, we need to realize that Jews and Samaritans don't get on. They constantly are fighting with each other. Uh, they have to cross the road if they see another one coming in the other direction. That's how much they don't want to be near each other. It's almost like an ancient day racism that's going on. See, the Jews saw the Samaritans as this half-breed of people, less than what God wants. See, because they married out of the inheritance of God's people, and because their ancestors uh, married people groups from around Israel when they were in exile, and so weren't true Israelites, weren't true worshippers of God, they didn't quite measure up to the standard that God had for them, and so was discounted from the promise of God, that I will be your God and you will be my people. So they've discounted, according to the Jews. They worship Yahweh, the, the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jews, the God of us Christians. But their worship wasn't valid because they didn't worship in Jerusalem where the temple was. They worshipped on Mount Gerizim. They were seen as less than human. And of course, the Samaritans saw the Jews as this elitist kind of group of people, the chosen people that were supposed to save everyone. But look, they weren't really doing it, were they? 
And so they didn't get on. There was this enmity between them. They would often fight each other. And because of this dynamic between the Jews and the Samaritans, this is a very, very unnatural conversation between the Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus. Not only because it's the middle of the day and she's there because of her relationships or, or the relationships that she's failed to have, or those failed relationships, which Jesus calls her out on, by the way. And it's why she calls him a prophet later on in that reading. But the real thing that she's asking for, and the question that's behind her saying this, is that she wants to worship God. She's hungry to worship, and she wants to worship him in the right way. So starts to ask Jesus the question of where should we worship? See, she says it in verse 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. And just before she can ask the question, Jesus butts in and says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Her mind must have been blown at that moment. This was the place where the Samaritans worshipped, and Jerusalem was a place of encounter, the very place where God lives. And Jesus is saying, it won't be here, and it won't be in Jerusalem, but it'll be in spirit and in truth. Imagine that. The whole of the, the central Middle East, the whole of Israel's identity being a people of God, worshipping in the temple where God exists, blown out of the water. Because the time is coming and now has come that true worshippers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's what God's seeking. It's what he's after, not just this sacrificial system where offerings have to be bought, but worship that's in spirit and in truth. It's not in a particular place. It's not around particular sacrifices. It's not a religion. It's relationship. So why spirit then? What, what's up with this worshiping in spirit? Well, Jesus begins to unpack it slightly in the next verses. God is spirit. He is spirit and must be worshipped in the spirit. He doesn't delight in sacrifices, but delights in a broken and contrite heart. He, he delights in your heart that is for him and for nothing else. Nothing else but him and him alone. It says it in Hosea 6. All these sacrifices are worthless. God desires your whole self. So that's worshipping in spirit. But what about this truth? It's because of what God has done and will do. Of course, in the Old Testament, we, we remember God's rescue plan for those small groups of people. The covenant that God has with Abraham and his descendants throughout the generations, how he rescues them from Egypt, from slavery, 
and takes them to a land that will be their own. The miraculous things that God did with those Israelite people and with some other people groups around the world too. It's why they worship. And of course, there's that covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. Because that covenant is why in the New Testament, we are part of the worshiping community of God. Because it's blown up. All of a sudden, we as Gentiles get to become the people of God too. The promise given back almost eight, nine, ten thousand years ago to a family that was led by Abraham, we are included in that promise of I will be your people and you will be our God. And so will your descendants be like grains on a seashore or stars in the sky. But it doesn't end there in this reading in John 4, because Jesus is about to do something that deserves all of the worship we could ever give. And that's destroying sin and us having a restored relationship with God. That is why we worship. We worship because God has saved you and he saved me. We've been included. We've been adopted into his family. We have been loved so much that he would die for us. And this woman starts to worship almost immediately. Because when you have a look at verse 25, and just have a look at that in this moment. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. Or if we look at it in the Greek, it's I am. I am the one who revealed himself at the burning bush to Moses. The one who is the center of the worshiping life of the Samaritans and of the Jews. He's no longer in the temple. He is there in front of this woman, offering her eternal life. I am, he says. Imagine God saying, I am the one that's right there. I am in front of you. Worship me. And as we worship in spirit and in truth, he's there right in front of us. So what can we learn from this interaction with a Samaritan woman about worship? Well, firstly, I think for a lot of us in the charismatic evangelical tradition of church, we have lessened worship. We've demoted it to just singing songs. Songs that go round and round and round and round again, seemingly with no rhythm or tune. We've demoted it to just sing it. But there's so much more to worship than just playing an instrument or singing. We know that, that worship is a big part of that. Singing is a big part of that. Music is a big part of worship. But it's not the only part. There's so much more. We can worship as we see creation. This week, it's been really cold and icy and snowing in some bits. 
and I've been uh, walking the dog, seeing all these ice sculptures that have been made just in creation, and my heart has been led to worship as I've seen them. Harry and I had an almost two-hour walk in the woods, where actually I was worshipping God in that because of the beauty that we saw in ice trickling down a hill and the glorious sunshine coming through the trees. It's in creation. It's in the birth of children and animals. We can worship as new life comes into the world. We can worship in sex. And yes, I've said that. I had a, a professor at college who pointed this out, who, who said that he and his wife were having sex and he was drawn to worship God because of it. In beauty, in the word that we read in the scriptures, in song, and dare I say it's even in death. As Jesus died on the cross, the centurion who was standing there worshipped God because of Jesus's death. All of these things reveal to us God and can help us worship. So what's the root of all this worship? Where do we get it from? Well, worship is an Anglo-Saxon word worth Skype. I'm probably saying it very wrong. But it's about attributing worship to God, attributing worth to God. Like giving him a bag of money, attributing worth. You are worth this much. In the Old Testament, that worth is animal sacrifice, the firstborn animal, the, the first fruits of the harvest. In the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. Jesus doesn't demand us to just give a little bit, but demands our whole lives, demands us to say, Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Everything, our money, our time, every little bit that we can surely give him, that's what he calls for. Wrong worship is when we give worth to something that takes the place of Christ. That's idolatry. That's, that's where the people of Israel all throughout history get into trouble because they worship things that is not God. And so, uh, in again, in the evangelical charismatic tradition, sometimes we worship music, not God. Sometimes we sing the songs because they are a great tune rather than because it's worship. So Sarah's just about to play us a clip. Uh, it's not very long, but it's well worth listening to. And I wonder if any of us kind of do this as we worship. So Go ahead, Sarah, and play that for us. Isn't, isn't that sometimes how we approach music? And I know it's a very, uh, it's a humorous clip of, of kind of how we, how we ascribe worth to just how we sing songs or to ourselves. But actually, worship is so much more than that. And there are some things that are really important. Money and children and work and a vaccine, relationship, and sex, and all sorts of things. They're all very, very good things, don't get me wrong. But Jesus in our lives needs to be first. He is who we worship. 
He is who we lay down our lives for, just as he did for us. Part of worship being a part of our rhythm series is because it needs to be practiced daily in community and by ourselves. It's because we say, God, you are worth so much more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And that's why we worship you. It must cost us something. Jesus, our worship cost you everything. And so our worship must cost something. So we bring our whole selves. We choose to worship, unlike the rest of creation that, that is, is pre-programmed to worship God. We get to choose. And so we do that. We bring our whole selves. We bring our money to God and lay it at his feet. We bring our sexuality and we lay it at his feet. We bring our family, we bring our worries, we bring our jobs. And we say, God, we worship you, not that stuff. And next week, we're going we're gonna to look at something that we probably worship the most. I'll leave us on a cliffhanger for that. But we get to choose what we worship. I wonder what you worship the most at the moment. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's your iPhone, maybe it's at the moment Zoom or, or the hope of a vaccine. But is that really taking the place of who should be in our worship, Jesus? Dare I say in, in many, many churches up and down the land, singing songs has become what we worship rather than Christ himself all sorts of other things, social justice, all, all manner of things have become worship other than him. And we have to put Jesus on the throne. He is who we worship. If we worship anything else than Christ, it's idolatry and not worth anything. But Jesus is worth everything to us. And that's why we worship. I'm going to hand back to Steph, but before I do, let's just pray. Father, Jesus, you gave us everything. You died in our place so that we can have relationship. Jesus, you died to include us in the family. Lord, the things that distract us, the things that lead us away from worship, would you help us to lay them down? Father, where your church has become a distraction to worshipping you, would you, would you lay us down? Father, would you have your way? Lord, would you restore your church that is there to worship you and you alone and nothing else? Father, the, the 30 or so of us in this call, Lord, we pray that you might this week help us to worship again. Would you reveal yourself so much that we are drawn to worship you? Lord, there's so much stuff that pulls us away from you. Lord, we say, keep us focused on you and you alone. Lord, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.